Dr. Mallory Blake has her doctorate in clinical psychology, a master's in mental health counseling, as well as a bachelor's in sociology and psychology. I've felt for a long time that this conversation around safe sex and sexually transmitted infections was important for our community to be informed of because things have changed so much in modern dating. A few of the questions we answer in today's episode are, how do we disclose if we have an STI? Dr. Blake believes that shame, fear of rejection or abandonment, as well as societal expectations that challenge aspects of who they are is what holds them back in a relationship. One's own lack of understanding or knowing their sense of self and other mental health challenges that make them vulnerable also hold them back when seeking out new partnerships. My biggest takeaways from our sensitive conversation today were one out of every two people will get an STI by the age of 25 if they are sexually active. Please take a look for local free testing centers available so that you can get tested frequently in between partners and if possible during a partnership as well, depending on the level of monogamy that you practice. Without further delay, let's get into today's episode with Dr. Mallory Blake. Hey guys, welcome back to the BBR podcast. I'm back at the Center for Shared Insight with Dr. Mallory Blake. How are you today? Just fine. How are you? Good, thank you. Good. I'm so honored to be a part of your community. Mm. You know, first with Dr. Kristen Take, and then uh, we'll talk to Brittany Wolford as well. Mm. Yeah. But the topic of today is so important for us to address in modern dating, and we're going to talk about STDs, sexual health, mm-hmm. and education. Yes. So thank you so for inviting me in. I love the in-person interviews because yeah. um, they're so much more authentic for, for me. Sure. They yeah. feel better for me too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So you did your dissertation on this subject. I did. And I did. how did you come to decide that um, getting a doctorate in psychology was your path? Oh, it's a great question. Um, to be honest, I really wanted to be a sex therapist. Like I think that was really what I wanted. And by the time I got to college, I was kind of funneled into a more generalist pathway, which I'm really grateful for. I think it helped me out. I think it's helped broaden the work that I do. But I think there's always just been an underlying theme around sexual health as an interest for me. Um, you know, in our society, things like that are, are is still taboo a little bit. So it's nice to be able to provide a service or have research or, you know, to be able to chat with people around something that they feel uncomfortable about in other areas of their life. And so it's so connected to relationships and a lot of the reason why I do the therapeutic work that I do is all about, you know, building that relationship both with clients but also helping them broad that, broaden that out elsewhere. So um, I just think it's a really interesting topic that we probably don't talk about enough day to day. What are some common themes of your clients that, um, mm-hmm. that you see repeated over and over and over again? Yeah, in regards to sexual health specifically? Yeah, we could talk about that or um, maybe that's not necessarily how people seek you out but... Definitely. Uh, the conversations come up. Yes, I was going to say it's more so that you know they want to come in for something else, but they've read that they I do sexual health work, and so then they're like, well, I kind of want to talk about this too. So, um, yeah, I think a lot of the people that come into our practice specifically are people that are looking for uh, help in their relationship, dating advice and support. Um, I do a lot of perinatal and postpartum mental health in the center also, so I see a lot of new parents. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lot of people are coming in specifically with relationship anxiety. I see a lot in my caseload around that. And I think when you talk about anxiety, lots of times that's when like the sex stuff will come up yeah. as a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that area, I see you know some health and functioning issues. Um, I see people that are wanting to maybe explore a new area of, of sex or sexuality that they haven't had an opportunity to discuss other places. Things like sexual 
orientation questions um, and exploration, things like kink or BDSM, sort of, or maybe exploring different types of relationship options for them. Maybe they want to explore having consensual non-monogamy. So. Okay, mm -hmm. let's touch on that one later. Yeah. Um, but you said kinks and BDSM. Let's pretend like I know nothing about uh, that specifically. Could you just sure. clarify a little bit? Absolutely, absolutely. So when I'm talking about this, we're talking about um, typically like uh, special interests, fetishes, preferences for sex that are uh, kinky, you know, a little bit different than what you'd call vanilla sex. <laughs> so um, the pretty stereotypical, you know, thinking about um, missionary for procreation, things that kind of fall outside of that. And we have lots of variety in that. And there's lots of really great communities that are built around, you know, supporting those interests. Um, things, everything from like bondage to sadomasochism, things like, um, f you know, foot fetishes are just like some of the more well-known ones, but mm -hmm. there's lots of more specific ones that people I think want to come in and say, hey, I saw this in porn, or my partner says they're really into this, and I want to understand how I feel about it. Yeah, let's say that, a, uh, that your partner comes to you with a request. Mm -hmm. How do we handle that? For sure. Um, I would say I'm hoping that they're coming at a time when there's plenty of room for the conversation, you know, before sex is even initiated or an option. Um, Understanding in the same way actually it's very related to having a disclosure around an STI or STD We want to make sure that there's a lot of room for safety in that conversation that both sides are feeling really heard in that um, I encourage people that if they have a preference that they're finding you know plenty of ample space and time to have a conversation with their partner But then you know leaving space also for the reaction that, that might not be a preference that they have and how you want to negotiate that in a relationship or how do we want to maybe dip our toe in, but not mm -hmm. necessarily have, you know, go go all out on the first go around with something. Sure. So. You said negotiate. Mm -hmm. And in reality, that's kind of what happens when we talk about our sexual preferences. It's yeah. like, hey, I'm interested in this. Let's agree upon a safe space in between us. For sure. Especially if one person's really not interested. It, yes, absolutely. Like, there needs to be... You know, I, I think negotiation is also part of the consent process, right? And if oh, we're yeah. mm -hmm. having like an active and ongoing hell yes all the time for that, then we need to have the space for the conversation to occur. Sure, mm -hmm. sure, absolutely. Then we could talk about boundaries. Of course, <laughs> yes. Because it can't be a hell yes all the time. Not necessarily. I don't. It can't be an assumed hell yes all the okay. time, right? And it would need to say like each time there needs to be that conversation that comes up. So you know, just because you were into that, you know, last week doesn't necessarily mean that I get to assume that now is also mm -hmm. a good time for that mm -hmm. as well. Got it. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And then you brought up STIs, STDs yes. as a topic, and that's what we're here to talk about today. So sure. uh, let's briefly talk about uh, the curable. Okay. And then the incurable, and mm -hmm. then we'll talk about tests that are available too. Okay, great. Yeah, so, you know, when we talk about an STI or STD, you know, a lot of um, people are using those interchangeably now. I think, you know, STD has a lot of stigma. You know, when you consider it a disease, it feels uh, tr like a tremendous burden. And in reality, you know, one out of two people will get a, a sexually transmitted infection by the time that they're uh, 25, if they're sexually active. So. They, they're gonna come and go a lot. So let's just kind of open up the doors to just talk about it really openly um, and more comfortably. So they are, there are three types of STIs. There's parasitic, bacterial, and uh, viral. And then we break those down even few, further. There's probably, I think now they say, over 30, I think probably, um, STIs out there. But the ones we hear most often are, you know, the parasitic ones like pubic lice or scabies. Um, the bacterial, like chlamydia and gonorrhea, chlamydia I believe is probably the m most reported, um, 
and then and we have encephalus within that and then the bacteria or the viral we have HPV HSV1 and HSV2 which mm -hmm. is herpes simplex, simplex virus and HIV within those categories mm -hmm. okay so that's curable and incurable mm -hmm. yes so oh yes so we covered a lot of yes those are yeah. all the kind of the segment segments of different types of STIs now when we talk about curable and manageable the curable ones are ones that can be taken care of with antibiotics like pills or cream um, syphilis would fall into that, chlamydia would fall into that, gonorrhea, and the parasitic options. Um, the viral ones are the ones that are going to be more manageable, typically through medication. Sometimes they uh, go dormant in your system, so HIV, HPV, and herpes would mm -hmm. all fit into the manageable category. Mm -hmm. Okay, and then let's talk about tests available. Where do we find them, and what specifically is new or mm -hmm. common? For sure. Um, so in regards to getting a test, I would say that you actually have a lot of options to be able to do that. If you could do a quick Google search for you know local SDI testing and there will be lots of free centers that you can go and walk in, you take a number, you wait, and you go in um, with healthcare providers. So you can get that done at your doctor, typically, if you have an annual exam. And we use blood tests to test for that. We use urine samples. We also use um, swabs, exogenal or oral swabs that we'll all be able to test for those things. Mm -hmm. Blood tests are typically used for HIV and syphilis. Um, urine samples usually for chlamydia and gonorrhea. And then the vaginal oral swabs um, will be used for herpes and uh, HPV most often. And sometimes for HIV, but sometimes. I think that what's difficult is that you know, lots of times people have symptoms, right? Like something feels different to them or the, or they have a sore suddenly. Um, but the majority of us actually have probably had an experience with them and been asymptomatic for the majority of that experience. Lots of times they don't provide a whole lot of symptoms to really notice. Herpes would be a really good example of that. Um, I think right now the stats are probably one in six people have some form of, of herpes, oral or genital. but. Uh, we don't really test for that unless you have an open sore to really look at. So lots of times people will have herpes and we're transmitting that mm -hmm. to another person without even their knowledge through viral shedding, through other options like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Got it. Yeah. And now let's come to uh, disclosing, um, having the conversation with our soon-to-be partner or our current partner. Yeah, for sure. So we touched on it a little bit ago and I think the same process is going to happen. Uh, I'd encourage people to make sure that they have the space and time that they need, um, and that they're making a decision around how they want to also disclose that. For some people, they put it in their dating profile. You know, they may want to have that out there already. Um, for some of them, it might be protective. I think it can also be a little shaming in some ways too, but I think there are plenty of people that are having no problem destigmatizing their STI status via that. I think, you know, there are also options of doing this in person, but I also think that there are people have been getting a little bit more comfortable doing it via like text over or over the phone. Mm -hmm. Sometimes that can actually offer the other partner that you're disclosing to a little bit more space and time to be able to think through, you know, how that would fit into their relationship, whether casual or um, more serious. And sometimes that space can be beneficial. Sure. Mm -hmm. I have a couple questions. Of so, um, being upfront and honest even before you start dating, like you mentioned mm -hmm. in their dating profile. Yeah. It's almost like coming from a place of like, what? I'd rather you know now so you know what you're getting into. Mm -hmm. And sure. then if you don't want to proceed with me now, mm -hmm. that's fine. Then it's um, maybe kind of lessens the fear of rejection yes. and the burden that we were talking about a little bit earlier. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I think, and I, that's tricky because I think for some people it can maybe, like I said, increase stigma for them. It can, um, you know, when you when you think about dating, you don't give everybody your life story on that first date, right? Like vulnerability. Probably should. Yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. Like people are going to get scared no matter what if we have too much vulnerability early on. And so I think for some people they take a lens and say like, well, that might be you know, um, too much really early on for somebody. Maybe they need to get to know me for a little bit and understand that this is just an aspect of me. It's not my whole identity. It's not the biggest part of me. And they could fit that into the bigger picture Mm -hmm. later on. And I think for some people, it's this other option that you talk about that it can maybe help with, you know, not having to face rejection, maybe not feeling ready to have that conversation in person yet. This might be them dipping their toe in to those early stages of disclosure. Mm. My second question is... The text message. Yeah. Uh, say like you send that text message mm-hmm. alerting your partner or soon to be partner or mm-hmm. current partner of an STI mm-hmm. and then you don't hear back from them for like 48 hours. Yeah. Is that too much space or is that going to create, we talked about anxiety earlier. Yes. Yeah. Um, I could sense that like sending it over text message could create like a lot of anxiety around the response and the space that that mm-hmm. partner needs. Yes, absolutely. So when we talk about negotiation, this is like a, a little bit of that, I think. Um, how are we setting boundaries and expectations around that disclosure? Like as, me, maybe you say I'm the partner disclosing that and I'm going to maybe say, you know, I have um, some pieces of myself that I want to share with you before maybe this goes further in our relationship. But I also want to be really respectful in giving you the space and time to think through how this might impact us. However, it would be really nice to maybe have just you acknowledge this message or for you to tell me how much time you're going to need or is this something that I need to check in with you or that I'm going to maybe check in with you by mm-hmm. tomorrow, two days or something that maybe feels like a good negotiation point for them. Because you're right, it wouldn't be fair in the same way that you think about ghosting, right? Like it's really, really tricky to do that to people and leave them you know, hanging. So mm-hmm. you'd want this to be a part of the same thing, basically. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's out of treating others with respect. Mm-hmm. And say like, hey, I wanna let you know this now so that um, I don't hurt you yes. um, emotionally, mentally, and then uh, put our relationship in jeopardy mm-hmm. either. For sure. Yeah, th- this is a whole, the whole point of, do- of disclosing it is out of respect for people. Mm-hmm. In the same way that I think um, some people feel pretty betrayed, you know, to all of a sudden now they have an STI that they are now managing and no partner has told them so far that that's happened. Now granted, that can also be from asymptomatic, you know, experiences where they didn't even know that there was um, an STI that they were transmitting, which is why getting tested often Mm -hmm. is very important. In between sexual partners? Yes. Okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think even just um, if you make it a point of, in the same way that you would your other self-care routines, like lump this in. You know, there could be times in which, you know, you've maybe been with one partner and you've been with them for a few months, but you've made an assumption that there's maybe not, you know, um, any sort of worry or concern. But say that that other partner, the partner that you're with, has had asymptomatic herpes during that time period, right? But they, and you made assumptions about it, but now all of a sudden you haven't gotten tested until down the road. But if you got tested in that relationship, then maybe you could know. Like maybe mm-hmm. you have an, a symptom or an experience. So we need to make sure that people also realize that like having an STI out of, out of nowhere also doesn't like equate to cheating. And I think a lot of people make that assumption. Mm-hmm, yeah, definitely a, a hurtful moment or just like a betrayal moment mm-hmm. uh, in a relationship. Yeah. So partner is talking to the other partner about Mm -hmm. their STI and where they're at 
in their sexual health, mm -hmm. how do they stay safe and healthy moving forward? Mm. Um, like if an STI is a part of the picture. Yeah, that's part of the management that yes. you keep talking about for with sure. an STI. For sure, for sure. So say, that, uh, you know, this partner is like, okay, I have some questions or, you know, curiosities that I uh, want to do my own research maybe. Or I would even suggest the partners that's disclosing, like, show up with them. Yeah. You know, give them okay. some websites, give them some things so that they can educate themselves to make some decisions. But now we're talking about lots of communication. How are you getting really familiar with your own body and your partner's bodies? How are you getting comfortable inspecting things, you know, having a lot of dialogue if you maybe think you're going to have an outbreak of some type or, you know, your symptoms have worsened or increased or, um, you know, where you're at maybe with taking antiretroviral medication or something that's, you know, meant to manage your STI. But also, how are we talking about, you know, safe sex practices now with our partners? How are we negotiating those things again? Um, yeah, I think that it, this is, communication would be the underlying theme, always. Kind of like the umbrella principle mm -hmm. here of like respecting your partner, mm -hmm. communicating where you're at currently, yep. and communicating about where we go from here. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Now, let's possibly create like a script of disclosure. Sure. Um, you mentioned it just a little bit over text, like, mm -hmm. hey, I would really appreciate some acknowledgement of this text. Mm -hmm. This is where I'm at right now. I would love to know what you need mm -hmm. and how much time you need. But yeah. that's that's kind of like keeping the lines of communication open. Correct. How, what's our script? How do we yeah. how do we bring an STI up in a relationship? Mm -hmm. So I w always would want to start with like a moment of validation for the relationship, right? Like you are wanting to disclose because you care about this person, and I think acknowledging that first is really important. You know, saying, um, I'm really liking where this is going, or I'm really enjoying our connection, I really care about you, and there are things that you deserve to know before, you know, we are to move forward with anything mm -hmm. together, whether it be a relationship or sex even. Um, you know, I would say I was diagnosed, you know, with this STI however many years ago or last month. I mean, it's really important that I'm open and honest with you about that because it's, I care about you and, um, and I respect you. Um, I would tell them to, to educate them a little bit about what that means, right? If there's so much stigma and so much unknown and so many myths out there, let's give them the resources, but let's also tell them about like how you take care of it. You know, do you take medication for it? Do you get tested regularly in case there's, you know, more susceptibility to other sort of STIs for you? Um, what's your treatment pathway if you have one in that regard? But then following up with, I know this can be hard. I understand that this might, you know, catch you off guard. I would really appreciate acknowledgement of this message. I want to talk a little bit about how we can negotiate this. You know, it's still possible for me to have a really fun, fulfilling, and exciting sex life. Um, it just means that this is one part of who I am as a sexual being in the mm -hmm. world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you said something in there about susceptibility to another infection? Yes. Is that like the likelihood of receiving one STI and the likelihood of getting another in your lifetime? Yeah, that's, yeah, I mean, it's very possible. Like, if you think about how HIV has an impact on your immune system, right? Like, there's an extra susceptibility then for you there, for, um, for prime example. Most often, you know, chlamydia and gonorrhea, you're going to take a few pills, you're going to be taken care of, it, it should subside, and make sure that you, you know, take all that medication that you're given. But usually if there is another type of STI within that system, it can make you more susceptible, but not always. Mm -hmm. Let's challenge the definition of success of sex mm. 
and specifically monogamy. Yeah. And then you said cons consensual non-monogamy earlier, For which sure. is why I wanted to come back to that yeah. topic. Great. Sure. Challenging the definition ah. of sex because right. there's a stigma around this Correct. too, Correct. or like an assumption, or maybe a change in our culture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the way that we label it is really from like a heterosexual monogamous vanilla style, right? But when we think about the idea of sex, there's lots of things that can be sexy and sex and sexually gratifying that aren't necessarily just, you know, um, penile vaginal penetration, for example. Things like, um, you know, massage, body touching, things um, that are maybe in that like more kink sort of experience could be an idea of that. Um, there's lots of ways to be able to have mutual masturbation be a part of your relationship, right? So this is also within the umbrella of safer sex options for you um, if you have an STI that you're concerned about or maybe you have an outbreak right now, right? So there's other ways to be sexy in a relationship that are not just using those, you know, are the body parts in regards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. As far as monogamy goes, yes, it's part of our cultures. People would call it vanilla. Mm -hmm. And there's a cultural shift towards polyamorous relationships. Sure, sure. So when we talk about monogamy, we forget that it's actually a kind of a newer concept for us. It's, it hasn't been around that very long within our culture. You know, we were back, you know, thousands of years ago, we were much more likely to have multiple partners all at once. And we had a different way of living a life that way. And I think now people are considering what that would mean for them, right? It's a whole lot of pressure when you're with one person and we tell you, you know, you have, have to expect that this person will fulfill you in all the ways, support you emotionally, physically for life. Mm -hmm. You know, that's a lot of pressure. So for some people, I think the idea of exploring, you know, consensual non-monogamy is a way for them to feel fulfilled in their life, to have sexual pleasure in the way that they want to, um, to feel more connected with other people, uh, mm -hmm. to have more support within their family household. You know, there's a lot of resiliency within polyamorous families, actually. So it's, I think, something that people are beginning and wanting to explore, but it needs to be done in a really thoughtful way. You know, right. back to communication. Yeah, and there's different phases of a relationship, too. Like, mm -hmm. you've just met, and you're not exclusive yet. Yes. Um, dating multiple people is fine for some people. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then becoming exclusive, but not having the boundary around exclusive sexual partners. Mm -hmm more of like having um, variety to fulfill sure. your sexual needs. Totally. Um, and then after a long-term commitment as well. Mm -hmm. So different phases in a relationship can mean different things by different boundaries. Oh yeah, you know, I think that there are probably plenty of people who maybe began in a monogamous relationship and then, you know, decided a little while later that they wanted to change that up a little bit or that um, it's evolved in the same way that you talk about that. So yeah, mm -hmm. I think it's really expected. I think it's okay. And communication about sexual health with your, say, like, consensual non-monogamous relationship, mm -hmm. um, communication has to be there about how to stay safe. Yes. Um, how to protect each other. Definitely. And then communication uh, about where are we going, how are we going to, how do we stay safe in a polyamorous relationship. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. So, testing you know, frequent, often, uh, having communications around boundaries and not just around like sexual ones, but also like time boundaries. You know, who are you going to spend your time with um, and how, and how am I going to know that? Mm -hmm. Do I want to know that? Do we want to mm -hmm. communicate that together? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think I, I was just at a training recently um, where they talked a little bit about how uh, Google Calendar is kind of like the 
an amazing invention for polyamorous relationships because people can see where you're at, Red, who you're green, with, yellow yeah, colors. exactly, <laughs> right, like just where everybody's going and doing. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and so I think that's really crucial. I think that we need to also talk about um, like if there are certain you know sexual experiences that are maybe off limits or with other partners or maybe just you know okay with one partner. Um, barrier methods, right? Like all of the contraception is really important at that time too. So I think that there's ways to absolutely do it, but if you're not gonna talk in and negotiate and communicate about that frequently and often, um, it's gonna be challenging. And I think that people forget actually that polyamorous relationships and conventional non-monogamy really require a whole lot of that and it actually makes their relationships really strong and they're really good communicators because they get a lot of practice out of it. If both are all in. Correct. Yes. Yes. So that's the, the key word is consensual yes. non-monogamy. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, when we talk about consent, full, active, ongoing, yes, and that needs to be every experience that we're having along the way. Mm -hmm. So the consent for, or enthusiasm for consent needs to be there. And we need to have, make sure that everyone has made an agreement to that before you know, we may make choices. Cause that's, that is when like betrayal occurs, rejection, abandonment, you know, all of the relationship hurt mm -hmm. that can happen. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And I love that you mentioned time spent earlier when we were talking about mm -hmm. non-monogamy and, mm -hmm. and how do I know where you, where you are, who, and et cetera. Yeah. And we've talked about intimacy before on the podcast, mm -hmm. and this is really a differentiating factor between um, values, I guess, Yeah, is does time spent with multiple partners kind of dilute the energy that you have mm -hmm. for say like your number one or your mm -hmm. priority? Sure, sure. I don't think so. You know, I think that I, I can understand like why that would be looked at that way, right? That, um, that if I'm spending five minutes with you, how could it be as good as the five, you know, 15 minutes that you've given somebody else, right? Because, and I understand the value in that, but I think it's more about intentionality with your intimacy with time. How are you connecting with that person in the here and now in that moment and leaving out the other things that aren't a part of that maybe time to spend with another person? And I think, you know, when we talk about consensual non-monogamy, there's lots of different, you know, relationship systems that go in that. You know, are you having an open relationship? Are you doing something like monogamish? Are you, you know, do you have a primary partner, but then, you know, in a secondary and tertiary? Or do you have, are you in like relationship anarchy where there's like no system Free for all. Set up? Yeah, 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 yeah. You know, and I, I think like all of that is possible. And I think that people feel really thoroughly committed to that. But it's also important for maybe that person who feels I'm not getting enough of you to be able mm -hmm. to bring that up. Like mm -hmm. that's again, like an opportunity to negotiate. Yeah. If somebody's love language is quality time and physical yes. touch, then they're going to be sensitive to that. Sure. At all. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Like my love bank gets filled with one night a week, yeah. a busy business owner. I might have one night a week available and hopefully a second, but mm -hmm. my love bank gets filled very, very quickly mm -hmm. because quality time is tops for me. For sure. For sure. And so it's not so much like, I'm monopolizing your time. Mm -hmm. It's really when the factor of that, say my partner brings in a little less presence during our quality time. Yeah. And I think that's where it's affected most for me personally. That will, and that makes a lot of sense too. Like if you're going to say, I get this one time to be with you, that's really crucial. And I feel fulfilled by that. Mm -hmm. But if you're not coming up ready, you know, to be there with me, then it's because not you spent work. last night with somebody else who's distracting or for an sure. option for or... sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I think, 
um, we need to be having that layer of respect again mm -hmm. for the people that we're gonna you know connect with during that time. Mm. Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. And we skipped over something, but I think mm -hmm. that it was important for us to talk about the definition of sex and partners before we talk about the movement and the hierarchy and the stigma around STIs and STDs. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, guide this a little bit, like maybe... Sure, absolutely. Mm -hmm. So we've talked about stigmas so far in a general sense. What is the spe specific stigma of a my partner comes to me with uh, disclosure Okay. that they have an STI? For sure. So I think that um, we make assumptions based on the hierarchy that you mentioned, right? That um, the way that we respond to those is very different. Like when someone comes and maybe discloses, you know, I have chlamydia, very different than if they were to disclose like I have HIV. Yes. Like we as a society treat all of those things I think very differently, which is really unfair because all of these things are manageable within our lives and they, it is very possible to feel healthy and fulfilled by all those things. So I think that the stigma that we're talking about is based in that, um, the, the hierarchy and that being a problem. I think then we make a lot of assumptions about what it means, you know, because we don't know a whole lot. Like, can people really tell me that they've done a lot of education on HPV? You know, do they know a lot about the vaccination? Do they know mm -hmm. that it only covers certain strands? So, mm -hmm. um, I think a lot of this is just in the un, like the not knowing phase of it. And I think it's also really understandable to have a reaction where you sit back and say like, oh, I'm not really sure how I feel about that. And it's important for disclosing partners to say, maybe this is you know, the first time that someone's ever disclosed an STI to them. Maybe they were really rejected by their own disclosure from having maybe you know, another STI and they've done that before with another partner. So there's lots of perspective to bring into that that feels important. Mm. And if we're with our partner and we're normally committed to disclosing this fact, but drugs and alcohol are present. For sure. Uh, what happens, like what kind of danger zone are we in there totally I mean if you could think about just the ways in which drugs and alcohol increase impulsivity right like they you're gonna cloud decision-making so if you're gonna you know be out um, you know with a partner and get it to a level where that's gonna start to impact your decision-making or your communication or your boundary effectiveness then this is not this is not the time that you should have been having the conversation mm -hmm. so disclosing when those things aren't in our system is gonna be the way that we're gonna have the most honesty the most clear communication and we're gonna maintain our boundaries lots of times we might be eager to please the other partner we might mm -hmm. you know um, feel more sensitive to potential rejection and I think then it um, it makes it more risky than it needs to be yeah mm -hmm. or it might be a one-night stand and there's sure. uh, drugs and alcohol involved mm -hmm. um, how does say like a partner who knows that they're um, clean has been tested recently and they are on a one-night stand and they ask their partner how do they ask What's your sexual health? Yeah. With alcohol being present because, you know, their boundaries mm -hmm. are or their intentions are at that time. I'm just going to go out for a night of fun. For sure. For sure. Yeah. If you didn't know if sex was on the table yet when you were making that date up, then this is a different conversation. Mm -hmm. If you knew already, like, uh -huh. get texting, get asking. Like, <laughs> if you already think that might be a possibility, it's important for us to also just get really much more comfortable having the word sex be able to roll off the tongue a little uh -huh. bit, um, you know, so <laughs> I, can, I can kind of, oh, that's funny. I mm -hmm. can picture um, somebody saying over text, hey, you want to come over to Netflix and chill? Yeah. That's like straight up code. Sure. It's pretty well known that you're coming over to have sex. Yes. And that's when that text conversation can go to sexual health. Yeah. When was the last time you were tested? Do you, you know, um, do did your past partners get tested often? Do you mm -hmm. use condoms every mm -hmm. single time? 
Um, you know, do you know if you currently have any symptoms? It, those are the things that I would want people to be asking. But I, I understand it does feel different, like to be sitting maybe at the date, <laughs> like at the table sure. with a glass of wine and sure. just kind of rattling that off. Sure. But I do think in the same way we talk about the script, there's a really great way to be able to just like weave that in. It doesn't have to be awkward if we don't make it. Sure. So I tell people, you know, practice disclosing to like a few friends first, see how that feels. Um, have a conversation with yourself in the mirror. You know, get get like your lingo down so it feels really mm -hmm. good. So it's not necessarily an interrogation of this other person, but to say, you know, hey, I really like where this is going. Um, like I, it's important to me that I know when the last time you got tested sure. was. Like, is that or what is your sexual health like? Even that way you put it, it's just a more broad question. Mm -hmm. You know, do you are there lots of different other partners that you that you sleep with right now? You know, do do you use other barrier methods that are really important to you? So I don't think it has to be awkward if we don't make it. Sure. And then finally, before we like wrap things up, you alluded to sex toys and safety and lube. Yes. Maybe during an outbreak. Is that what you were talking about? Yeah, I think it just in general. You know, I don't think that people realize that your your sex toys can be a breeding ground for problems. Oh, okay. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, you know, it's important that you're reading the directions about how to clean those. It's important that you're understanding that. Um, it needs to kind of stay in one hole if it's not going to be used with a with a condom, right? Like you need to maybe be having safe sex with your sex toys at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, making sure that you're using lube that's appropriate for the type of condom that you're using. Um, you know, water-based is always going to be the best option typically. Uh, but you also want to make sure that with your sex toys you're using lube that's um, safe and effective for that because you don't want any sort of breaking down, right, of, mm -hmm. of the material uh, yes. that it's made from, sure. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. And all of that is connected to safer sex with um, with STI transmission, so that feels really important to use. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I'm glad you brought that up because it's it's not something that I've ever considered. Yeah. Maybe used one or two sex toys with a partner in the past, mm -hmm. you know, so just never even considered that. Yeah. So yeah. thank you very much. For sure, no, it's crucial, very crucial. I, I love your expertise on mm. on everything we've talked about today. Uh, if somebody wants to get a hold of you and your message resonates with them, what's the best way for them to do that? Oh, wonderful. I'd say uh, first and foremost, check out our website. It's uh, centerforsharedinsight.com. You can read up on myself and uh, Dr. Hick and Dr. Wolfer that are here. You can read our blog in there and just get a little bit of a better understanding of the type of work we do. Um, you'll find all of our contact information on there. Uh, feel free to give us a phone call and you'll speak with Lachelle who um, is our intake coordinator so that's a free consultation that you can ask a lot of questions about and then feel free to get scheduled nice yeah and if there's one thing we either touched on or didn't cover today that you mm -hmm. feel is very important for our, our audience to know on yeah, this topic that's a great question thank you for asking it because what's coming to mind is I, I would really encourage people to actually use their social media for a little bit more education around safer sex there are like great, great people that are running fabulous accounts. Um, things like uh, sexual education is on there, uh, the STI project. So you can get a lot of myth-busting information and a lot of support around like disclosure in particular. A lot of those places have a full script that you can follow. Um, and I think that that's actually a really easy way also to have some resources on hand to share with your partners that you have. Awesome. Yeah. Best best resource recommendation that I've got. Do they also have websites? Do you know? Many of them do. Okay. Yes. So yeah, beyond yeah, yeah. their social media accounts, we can uh, tune into their actual website. Totally. Too. And a lot of them do a lot of podcasts like this that they can people can listen to and check in. So it, they're really wonderful. I love the world of podcasting. I yeah. did not know that there were 
uh, sexual health specific podcast. Oh yeah, there's yes, <laughs> there's quite a few. But I, I felt like there was a great need for our community to be better educated. Totally. It's something that we haven't done um, up to date yet. Mm -hmm. So I want to thank you very much for yeah. uh, for taking the time to do that no. with me. It's been wonderful. Yeah. I felt like it was uh, an encyclopedia for a little while, but it feels good. <laughs> so thank you for inviting me. It's absolutely my pleasure. Yeah. Thank you. Welcome to the Believe, Be Real, Be Bold podcast for authentic dating. My name is Dave Glazer, online personal trainer and obsessed with the Enneagram personality assessment. After going through a couple of breakups in 2017, I came across some really inauthentic people when dating in Denver. And instead of getting frustrated, I decided to create a community of authentic people myself. Come along with me on this path to authenticity as we welcome expert guests and real-life daters to share their tools, tips, and knowledge to help you show up as your most authentic self.